0: tonight i invite you to open up second kings chapter 14 i'm actually kind of stoked I, I don't know that i've probably gone through first and second kings first second samuel first and second chronicles i don't know umpteen times i don't know how many times i've been stoked about it I, i'm pretty stoked tonight because just studying and just uh watching the spirit of god move and Showing uh, God's incredible mercy and patience and long-suffering with people who, who don't desire at all to do anything with the Lord, but, but God remains patient and long-suffering with them. And when I watch that, and I watch God's long-suffering and His patience and His, and, and His mercy, As he extends it to toward the northern kingdom of Israel, it makes me think like this: He loves them that much. How much does he love those who love him? How much does he love those who desire to walk with him? How much does he love those who are reaching out and and desiring everything that he has for them? How much does he love us? If he loves those who hate him so much, it's amazing when you start to look at at you know nearly oh gosh, I think two hundred and fifty years of history of animosity toward God by his own people and even Tonight, we'll go through a succession of kings. It's kind of crazy. I forget how many we'll cover tonight. But, but as we look at them, there's going to be assassination after assassination and coup after coup and crazy things going on. Yet, yet God is still guiding and leading, and he promises not to destroy them. It's amazing to me. So when I come to John 3.16... And I hear the scripture say that scripture we know so well for God so loved the world. You realize that that is past tense. That the example of him giving Christ is based on how much he has loved the world before that. So that he was no, there's no end that he won't go there's no river he won't cross there's no thing he won't do for those who love him it's pretty amazing it's pretty amazing i think often we can live our life in a in a place of fear rather than faith because we're so worried about what god is going to allow us to go through and we're afraid that God might say no. And certainly, He's God. He has the right to do as, as He wills. But, man, while you're thinking about the turns your life is taking, don't ever forget. The first John four seven and eight says, "God is love." All those other attributes are part of God's attributes too. Justice. All those things. But God is love. And he who loves is born of God and knows God. Because God is love. You want to look for a guarantee in the move of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You need look no further than whether or not you love. If you love God's people. If you love the love of Christ then you are filled with the Holy Spirit there's other things that the Holy Spirit wants to do and move and work through us but 1 Corinthians 13 is pretty clear on what's the greatest isn't it the greatest of these is love now abide these three have you heard about the three that abide faith and hope and that's no that's no Chump, group there, faith, hope, and love. That's that's pretty great things. But he said the greatest one, as love. You believe God loves you. You believe God loves you enough to heal you. You believe God loves you enough to give you the strength you need to endure whatever challenges you lay out in front of you. Because no matter what. Folks, no matter what, my brother Keith and me are of one mind. Everyone gets healed. Oh, come on, Jackie. Trust me, when you stand before Jesus Christ, you don't bring no sickness with you. You don't bring no pain and no sorrow. You have achieved ultimate healing. Everyone gets healed. Some get healed here, praise God. And some get the strength to endure whatever hardship they got to endure here. But everybody gets healed. So instead of worry and fret, hold on to the love of God. He said that was the greatest thing in us. I think it's a pretty great thing in Him, too. And it's something that we see. Even in 2 Kings with all the craziness of the Old Testament. Because God so loved the world. He was loving them when they hated Him. The examples that we see in Scripture tonight, it, it, should we get through them all, I don't know if we will or not, but the examples we see in the pages of Scripture tonight are, are mind-boggling. So let's jump in. We'll go to, to uh, 1 Kings chapter 14 and we'll see if the Lord allows It says, in the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. Don't you love it? I told you, kings is confusing because they start naming their kids the same thing. You got two King Joashes in two different kingdoms at nearly the same time. So keep in mind, the northern kingdom is a kingdom in rebellion against God. The southern kingdom is at least trying to walk with God at times. Northern kingdom, outright rebellion. Southern kingdom, you know, struggling, but at least making the attempt to walk with the Lord. It says, he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. That's southern kingdom, okay? Southern kingdom. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But listen to this phrase, yet not like his father David. Do you know... For all of us, myself included, God calls us to be all in, lock, stock, and barrel. And for every one of us, there is that thing. It may not even be a problem thing, it's just a thing. You know what it is, it's the high places for all these kings. They won't take down the high places. The high places is where people would worship other gods. Every one of our lives, we have the same thing. I don't know what it is for you, but every one of us has that thing. And if we would follow the Lord like our father David, how did David follow the Lord? What was he known as? Man after God's own heart, right? Man after God's own heart. Does it mean he was perfect and sinless? No, we know better. What does it mean? That everything in his life was centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything was centered around his relationship with God. Everything in his life was centered on him. Everything. The difference between all these other kings and David is not that David had something nobody else did. David was willing to get all in. Everything. If If the Lord said, listen, that green shirt you're wearing. Anybody got a green shirt on? I, I was random so if I say something don't get your feelings hurt but if the Lord said take that green shirt off and don't ever wear that green shirt again and you and I will be perfect you'll be all in now it seems kind of ridiculous but reality is the little things that God tells us to give up that we won't give up are just as puny just as puny maybe the Lord's told you just turn off the TV Maybe the Lord's told you, turn off a radio, stop listening to that music. I don't know. Maybe the Lord's told, told you, you know what, you need to get control of your tongue. It's not okay with me that, that you, you gossip. Or maybe the Lord has said, you need to get control of your anger. It's not okay that you run around angry all the time. Whatever it is, God has told us. And on top of telling us, you know that God's commandments are God's enablements, right? So if God tells you to do something, he's already given you the ability to do it. But we are so comfortable in in that stuff. So we're just like these kings. If we don't take it all down. Now God's going to do great things through the king. And he's going to do incredible things in Judah. And it's going to come so close to being amazing. But the reason it's not amazing is because... He won't lay down that thing. Some messages I just can't stand. Because he tells me the same stuff. Lay down that thing. Get all in. Take down the high places. This king wouldn't do it. He wouldn't take them down. Nevertheless, he did everything as his father Joash had done. So he was a good king, relatively good king. He didn't take the high places down. However, the high places were not taken away and the people still sacrificed and burn incense on the high places. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand, he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. You remember his dad started well, but didn't, ends, didn't end so good. He kind of got a little twisted up later on in his life. And so his servants killed him and put his son on the throne. When his son came fully to power, then he killed those people who killed his dad. The Bible calls it the Avenger of Blood. There were no police. You read your Bible. There's no police in Israel. There was never a police in Israel. There was a government. But the concept of police was held by the family. It's where we get the concept of family feuds. You know, the Hatfields and McCoys is the same kind of an idea. The problem was the Lord said that the governing of it should be the lex talionis, eye for an eye. Man's tendency is not eye for an eye, by the way. You understand that? Eye for an eye is the law of mercy. You might say, oh, come on, that's not the law of mercy. Yeah, because if you poke me in the eye, justice would be that I poke you in the eye. Not that I get a spoon and gouge your eyeball out. But that's how men are, right? And then you gouge my eyeball out, so I'm going to go shoot your dog. And while you shoot my dog, I'm going to go burn your house down. And that's how it happens. That's not the law of mercy. That's the law of of what do you call it? Building up. There's a word for it. What is it? Retribution. So, God's law was eye for eye. Even keep it even. The avenger of blood was responsible to take the men who had killed innocent blood, who had taken innocent blood. So in some ways we see the king doing that here, and, and he follows what God's word says about it. It's kind of uh, interesting because he knows this, but he doesn't understand to take down the high places. Look at verse 6. But the children of the murderers he did not execute, according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, in which the Lord said, Fathers will not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person... Shall be put to death for his own sin. Oh, the Bible is still is still that way. Nobody. The Bible says, "A soul that sins shall die." Every every man, woman, and child born on earth is condemned. Their relationship with Christ is what sets them free. And every single one of them must have their own. There's no grandkids or great grandkids with the Lord. Everyone must have their own relationship, their own forgiveness, their own thing going with the lord now in verse 7 it says and he killed 10,000 edomites in the valley of salt and took selah by war and called this name Jachthiel to this day then amaziah sent messengers to jehoash the son of jehoahaz the son of jehu king of israel saying come let us face one another in battle oh well let me let me let me give you the rundown of what happened uh Amaziah is getting big for his britches. You guys understand that concept? He went down to Edom, who at one time had been a vassal for Judah, and they had rebelled, and God gives him the victory there. And his guilt now is the guilt of presumption. The guilt of presumption says, well, if God gave me the victory here, then he's going to give me the victory wherever I go. And that's not always the case. Before we ever move in any direction with the Lord, we need to bow our knee first and find out, is this the direction you would have me go? And receive that blessing from him. Not just to presume that God is with us. Well, in case you're, you're not sure about what I'm talking about, turn to the right to Second Chronicles 23. So if you just turn to the right, you're, like 100 pages or something. Second Chronicles 23... And we will pick it up in about verse 5 and listen to what happened. Okay, Listen to what was going on behind the scenes. Chronicles gives us another little taste of of this kingdom. In verse 5, well, let's go look at verse 4. This is what you shall do. One-third of you uh, entering on the Sabbath, the priests and the Levites will keep watch over the doors. One-third, that's not it. 23, what did I tell you? Wow, I don't read my own handwriting very well. 25-5. 25-5. Let's try that. 25-5. Oh, that looks so much better. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set, them over, set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds according to their father's houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel. Oops. So he took 100,000, he hired, those are mercenaries, okay? But look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, But a man of God came to him and said, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle, even so God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. Now this is when they were going against Edom. So when he was going against Edom, he had a 100,000 guys he paid for from Israel. Now listen to the king's issue, his main problem with with letting him go. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, What shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? Hey, I paid these guys already. So? I never told you to hire them in the first place. I'm sorry, you're out. Your 100 talents, man. Look, he says, And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. You'll recover that in the battle. Just let him go. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come back to him from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in anger. And all the way home, they destroy every city they come to. That 100,000. All the way back to Israel. So after Amaziah has won the victory at Edom, he's like, these dudes like burned their way all the way back home, so I'm going to go take care of it. Only God never told him to go. So it says in back in 2 Kings, he tells us, so Jehoiash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, and said, the thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar in Lebanon, saying... Give your daughter to my son as a wife. But a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. What's he saying? He's saying, you are getting too big for your britches. You, the little thistle, are trying to start something with me, the big cedar, and all it takes is a wild beast running by to scorch you. So look what he says in the next verse. He says, you indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Glory in that and stay home. For why should you meddle with trouble, so that you fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not heed, and he did not call on the name of the Lord. So what's it say? Therefore, Jehoash king of Israel went out, and he and Amaziah king of Judah faced each other at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. And Jehoash king of Israel... Captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jehoash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh. And he went to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, the gate of Ephraim, to the corner gate, 400 cubits. And he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house, and hostages, and returned to Samaria. One of those hostages is the king the rest of the king's life he is going to rule as a vassal of Israel he's a, he's a king who has been kidnapped and is under the control of the king of Israel at least for a time that's where he's going to be all because he would not listen all because he would not submit to the Lord all because he was mostly committed you guys get what I'm saying he's mostly there he's He's almost all in. He's almost there. Just one little thing that he will not give over. It says in verse 15, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoash, what he did is might and how he fought with Amaziah king of Judah. Aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Yeah, we just looked at it. So Jehoash rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Then Jeroboam his son reigned in his place. Now just in case it was not confusing enough, do you remember the name of the king who started the whole thing? Jeroboam. So now they have decided to start naming themselves the same names of kings who reigned earlier and have died. So we have King Jeroboam the 2nd. King Jeroboam the 2nd being spoken of here on the pages of scripture. Well, verse 17 says, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the the death of Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. So he outlives the king who conquered him and took him prisoner. Probably at that king's death, he got loose and came back home. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Yep, we just looked at them. And they formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. And he fled to Lachish... But they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. Then they brought him on horses and buried him at Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. So many times they do this. They take matters into their own hands. They kill their king only to raise up the king's son anyway. Or someone else from the family. This is still the lineage of David that we're dealing with in the southern kingdom. And so they they are going to take him out and And they kill him and they take matters into their own hands because they won't follow any more fully committed than the king, will they? So if the king's not all in, are the people? Maybe some. Maybe some. But there's that example that they follow. That example leads them to kill him and bring him back and bury him. Look what it says. And all the people of Judah took Azariah who was 16 years old and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. Azariah goes by another name in scriptures. In fact, there's a really famous chapter about him, a couple, but one really famous one in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Uzziah, is the other name that Azariah goes by? Uzziah was an incredible king, an incredible leader, an incredible guy for his nation, but he struggled like his father with the idea of pride. And it will cause him to be a leper for the majority of his life. But let's take a look at what the scripture lays out for us. He takes over when he's 16. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. So he does some good things. Now we're going to turn back to the north. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. Now we're back north. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who, was, who had made Israel sin. You remember the sin of Jeroboam? The sin of Jeroboam is to mix Judaism with everything else. So what the northern kingdom did that God was so angry about is they took the worship of a holy God and they just mixed everything else into it. Hmm. Well, it just doesn't seem all that much different from what a lot of folks do with their relationship with the Lord today, does it? To take the truth of God's word and a relationship with Jesus Christ and and then just add him to an already busy schedule. He doesn't become the schedule. He doesn't become the life. But we'll add everything else to him, career and and direction and education and all that stuff, right? We'll just, we'll just rope all that stuff in. We'll wind up. Because, you know, God wants everyone to have a college degree, right? Doesn't He? I don't know. I think we assume that a lot of times. And we can be just as guilty as the northern kingdom of that thing that God hates. Of Of having the truth of the Lord, but mixing a bunch of other stuff into it, that was the false religious system of Jeroboam, and he said he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he continued in that. He continued in that all of his days. Look at verse twenty five He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word which the Lord God of Israel, of which he had spoken through his servant Jonah. You remember that guy right? He went fishing one day, or the fish actually went fishing for him. But this is the same Jonah. This is a prophecy that Jonah had given that the northern kingdom was going to um, once again regain the northern borders that Solomon had. And so that's what he's talking about. He regained the northern borders. He didn't regain all the borders, just the northern border, which was a fulfillment of what Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath, Uh, Heifer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel. Just listen to this. The Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter. Israel. Rebellion against God for 250 years. You hear God's compassion for them? God saw that their affliction was bitter. Whether bond or free. There was no helper for Israel. Nobody's leading them. Nobody's guiding them toward the Lord. And God is moved with compassion. So the Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel under heaven. But he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Is that not mind-boggling to you? Because to me that's mind-boggling. 250 years of rebellion... Yet God loves them so much that he still delivers them and they enter into a relative time of peace under this Jeroboam before they head headlong into into judgment with Assyria. During this time, you have not only Jonah prophesying, but you have two other guys, Hosea and Amos. I encourage you to read Hosea sometime. Hosea was a rather interesting prophet. The Lord told him to go marry a prostitute. You remember the story? Her name was Gomer. He went and married Gomer. She would not stay faithful, she cheated on him all the time. His children had to run around with the most terrible names ever given the kids. All I remember is one of them was called Not Mine. But Hosea becomes a picture of God's love for Israel. Because every time Gomer leaves, God says to Hosea, go get your wife. Bring her home. At the end, Toward the end of his life, she's all tore up, used up, bashed up, sickly, hurting. God says to him, go get her. And you bring her home. And then the Lord says, This is a living epistle of my love to Israel. Because no matter what you do, I'm going to keep coming back for you. Does that not give you hope? If God does that for Israel after 250 years of rebellion, what's He do for you? At least that, don't He? Won't he at least do that? Won't he at least love you and reach out to you and you mess up and you continue to do dumb things and you don't get all in and you make these silly mistakes and all that stuff? Won't God still do the same he did for them? Man, it's an incredible story I love. Incredible. The book of Hosea and the prophecies of of Hosea. Amos, shepherd guy. God calls him, and you know, Amos, Amos lays out for the people that, that God is trying to change their heart. He gives several prophecies in Amos about that, specifically Amos chapter 4 from 6 through 13. And then God tells him over and over again how he is delaying judgment. I don't want to bring judgment. I don't want to bring judgment. That's in Amos chapter 7. I don't want to bring judgment. Because Amos, the two prophets that God is using now, remember He had Elijah and Elisha among many others, and now you have Hosea and Amos reaching out at the same time, giving the examples about how much God loves you, how much God loves you, how much God loves you. It's amazing, man. It's amazing stories. So, what sins are they committing during their during this time? Here's what Hosea says. Hosea says that they are spiritual adulterers. They are thieves. They are ungrateful children. There is no acknowledgement of God in the land. But Hosea also says that God desires mercy. That God wants monotheism. That means one God in, in your life, not multiple gods in your life. But he only receives meaningless sacrifice and idolatry. Amos says that he finds the oppression of the poor. Injustice, immorality. The people love wealth more than kindness, ease more than righteous character. So, how can this nation avoid wrath? God waits for change and he sends his prophets. Go. I love you, he says. I love you, he says. Every time Hosea would go to bed at night, he would tell Gomer, I love you, Gomer. I love you. Gomer couldn't believe it. So she would run off with another pack of wild guys. And Hosea would be left alone with the kids. And then God would say to Hosea, go get your wife. And he'd get up and go find her and bring her home and say, I love you, Gomer. I love you. I love you. And she wouldn't believe it. And she would leave. That was Hosea's entire life. All lived out not to cause Hosea pain. But to show you and I the love of God toward us. Because we're guilty the same way. And we're guilty of the same things. And so God says... That's that's the example of how I love you. I don't want to destroy you, but I don't want to wipe you out. I'm not up in heaven shooting lightning bolts, trying to ruin your life. I love you. And I want you to walk with me. It says in 2 Kings 14.28, Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, all he did is might, how he made war, how he recaptured uh, uh how he recaptured for Israel from Damascus and Hamath and what had belonged to Judah. Are they not all written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings? So Jeroboam rested with his fathers, so the sons are the kings of Israel, and Zechariah, his son, reigned in his place. And we just go a little further. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, who was also called, remember I told you? Uzziah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He's 16 years old when he became king and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem and he did what was right in the sight of God according to all that his father Amaziah had done except the high places were not removed so the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And the Lord struck the king, and he became a leper until the day of his death. Well, that's kind of short for a pretty good story. So we're going to go to Second Chronicles 26, and let's take a look at the story, what's going on. Second Chronicles 26. This one I can read. A 6 looks like a 6. Chapter 26, let's look at it. Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. Well, he built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of God according to all his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbaal and against the Meunites. Also the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt for he became exceedingly strong. See, in Isaiah chapter 6, during the reign of Uzziah, the people couldn't see the Lord. They had a hero. The hero's name was Uzziah. That's why the Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Sometimes God's own heroes become so big that they become the focus of the people. The Bible says that he became exceedingly strong. But look, it says, And Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, at the corner buttress of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the desert. He dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers and vine dressers uh, in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. Man, this is a great guy. It's amazing man following the Lord, doing great things. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies. According to the number on their rolls prepared by G l the scribe and Maaseah, the officer under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. And under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Man, he's, he's got a powerful army. it has got a lot going for him. Man, this guy is really doing it for the Lord. He's doing great things. In verse 14, then Uzziah prepared for them, for the entire army, shields and spears, helmets, Body armor, bows and slings to cast stones. Man, he's, he's doing incredible things. He made devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. Why, he's talking about catapults and bacillus. The, the, these are the, the things that he's making. So his fame spread far and wide for he was marvelously helped. See the last words? Till... He became strong. Man. When he was 16, it wasn't hard to trust God. 16-year-old running a country, can you imagine? Some of you have had 16-year-olds. Some of you will. Yee. But he did great and amazing things until he became strong. Look at verse 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Oh, Uzziah. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Who can burn incense on the altar of incense? The priests. They they had a special job before the Lord. But Uzziah, man, look at all the stuff he's done. And he, again, steps out, just like his father, with the sin of presumption. God is with me. God has made me strong. God is delivering me. I will offer incense at the altar. Man. So Azariah the priest went in after him. And with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah. And they said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor before or from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar, And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. So Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. King Uzziah, man, had a great start. King Aziah, great start, great opportunities for a revival. There's a revival coming. We got to get to about a couple more chapters. There's a couple of them coming. Hezekiah is coming. Josiah is my favorite. He's coming. When Josiah comes, I'll dance a jig. No, Jeff, I'm kidding. <laughs> the point as we look at it, and as we, as we study what the Lord has for us tonight, the thing that stops all those people, guys, please hear this, the thing that stops them all from truly experiencing God's best was unwillingness to lay it all at His feet. Everything. Whatever God wants unwillingness to just say it's all yours whatever that thing was for them the bible calls it the high places right for you and i we have high places there are things there's issues that god speaks to you about that the lord has laid on your heart that he's saying lay this down lay this down the bible talks about two kinds of sins sins of omission and sins of commission commission is when we're not to do something and we do it anyway Sins of omission is when God says to do something and you won't do it. They were good kings and they had a good life for the most part. But because they wouldn't deal with the high places they all struggled with the same thing in their life. Pride. Pride. Too proud. Too proud to admit To the issues that they're battling. Too proud to lay them down on the altar of God. If you lay something down on the altar of God. You don't just lay a piece of it. Right? You get it? The God calls us, you and I, as burnt offerings. A burnt offering you didn't just give like, I'll give my left big toe. Or my right ear. When you got on the altar. The whole thing got burnt. The Bible says... For our God is an all-consuming fire. When the burning bush was enveloped in the flame, and and Moses came and spoke to it, what was unique about the bush? You remember? It wasn't consumed. It's not consumed. Uh, But but see, we're afraid. We're afraid if I get that deep, I'm going to lose stuff. Well, you might. You think... Later on in Uzziah's life he wouldn't have gave up some of the accolades. You think living in the house as a leper for the rest of his life, he would have said, you know, maybe a couple other defeats would have been better. You think there wasn't something he'd be willing to lay down? For Uzziah, it was too late. People still loved him. He was still a good king but he was a leper. But you know when I think of Uzziah the people could see his sin on his face. For you and I that's not always the case, right? We put on a happy face. People can't see our heart. But God says in Jeremiah, I know your heart. It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. But I think sometimes we start to begin to believe our own press. I've arrived or I've come or look how far I've gone and we can be filled up with pride and that pride, the same place it took Uzziah, is going to take us. But we, if we're willing to deal with the high places, guys, the high places are, I'm, I'm willing to give God all of this, I'm just keeping this aside. I'm going to give him all of this, but not this. I'm going to give him all of this, but, and I don't know what the this is. It could be your kids. It could be your time. It could be your money. I don't know. I mean, that's between you and the Lord. Whatever it is, the lesson of 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles is tear down the high places and put it all in the pot. And look across the table at your Savior and say, I'm all in. Everything I have. Health. Wealth. My family. I'm all in. And watch what God can do. What God can accomplish. You'll read about it because we'll find some kings like that they'll be young. And they'll come through and clean house. Watch what God can do if we're willing to do that. I think sometimes we. We lose sight of the love of God. And we lose sight of the ability of God. To do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. According to the power that he has given to us. He's still going to use us. No magic wands. The ability of God to move, he chooses to move in you and me. So the inability of or our perception of the inability of God to move may be because We got some high places we need to deal with. Put them on the altar and let them burn. Let them burn. They ain't worth holding you back from God's best. Amen? Just stay with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you. Thank you that we can come before you. Thank you for an opportunity to worship God. Thank you for an opportunity to see the truth of your word. God, I pray for each one of us that we make the decisions that we need to make. That we decide, hey, I am going to lay it down. I'm going to set it aside. I know, God, you are able to do abundantly above all I can ask or imagine. But you're going to do it according to the power that is in me. According to your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Lord, I pray that I would submit myself wholly to you to allow you to move so that you might accomplish the amazing things you want to accomplish, Lord God. Father, we desire to glorify you, to magnify your name. For your name is truly above all names.